the journey from there to here for all of us is a fascinating one, regardless of from where there is. The older we are, the more fascinating the journey becomes because by virtue of time alone, it is likely packed with more experiences, more interesting characters, more values defining events and involvements. For Unitarian Universalists, the journey may even be more fascinating because from wherever we came, we arrived at a place, and I have been called to task for this comment by several learned people, but we have arrived at a place that is largely unbounded by convention, conformity, and orthodoxy. I will concede the point that UUs have their own kinds of conformity and convention, but I must say it seems a rather less conventional kind of convention. And so where we have, have arrived seems particularly exciting to me. I love to ask people new to our denomination or our church how they came to be with us, by what path they arrived at our door. I love to hear their stories, especially the stories of their religious or spiritual journeys. I love to hear about how their lives have unfolded, how they have honed their values and shaped their personal beliefs. The life journey with all of its jogs and twists and turns is its untraveled and traveled instead paths, its chance encounters, missed opportunities, unexpected possibilities, the dreams, the fantasies, the awkward awakened senses and creative urges, the losses, the gifts, the what-ifs and yes-indeeds, the moments of insight, and the full awareness and bright flashes of vision, these facets of the life journey, and how each individual reacts in their own intricately unique way, these are endlessly and exquisitely fascinating. Part of the fascination for me is how very different we all are, and yet how much alike how different our life experiences, and yet how universal our human response. How different our perceptions, but how similar our sensitivities. We are uniquely different in what we pick up or leave behind as we travel our life journeys, what we notice or what we don't, what touches us or leaves us unmoved. But we are the same in that the trip itself shapes us. Whatever we notice or not, whether we notice or not, pick up or leave behind, are touched or unmoved, still we are shaped by the journey. We are formed, molded, and crystallized by our observations, encounters, and experiences through life. Our values and belief systems are clarified and reclarified on this journey. And if it is a vibrant journey, the values clarification may be a continuous process. Much of the shaping and forming of my being was done during a period of time in my life when I was a 911 emergency dispatcher privy to and participant in the drama and tragedies of other people's lives. Immersed largely in the late night or early morning hours in the lives of people I did not know 
connected to them by a phone line, their desperation, and whatever resources I had at hand with which to respond, I never was able to remain untouched by their stories. They touched me, they moved me, they shaped me, and certainly they clarified my values. I did this job for 18 years, keeping callers on the line in the middle of the night as they whispered their terror or shouted their rage at me, dispatching police, fire, and medical personnel to those who were in danger, in fear, or in distress, learning from and affected by those unknown people whose lives were so momentarily chaotic and yet whose humanity was so very similar to my own. My tenure on the job far exceeded the national average for dispatchers, which by some estimates was as low as two years, but now is more widely figured at four to eight years. It is a very hard job. I have never worked harder. It is a thankless job, though infinitely rewarding. It is a job in which you join up for the briefest of journeys with people often in the worst moments of their lives. You are urgently summoned into their world to become, for a few moments, their lifeline. They cling to your voice, your instructions, your calm, your assumed knowledge, skills, and abilities, your access to resources that may save them. It is an extraordinarily intimate journey often rife with emotion, and then it is over. They pass out of your life and you theirs. And you're, you never know what happens next. It is a job with connection, deep, deep connection, but no closure, whatever. For me, it was a very rich life experience, a deep source of learning and growth, and that's partly why I stayed so long. It diminished my self-preoccupation. It increased my awareness of the nuance and complexities of the human condition. It broadened my tolerance for human failings while honing my abhorrence of injustice. And perhaps most significantly, it tempered my tendency to judge, for it underscored for me the ubiquitousness of human fragility, and the commonality of human experience. I learned many other things as well as I matured into the job. I learned about how we live our lives in increments, in moment-by-moment -moment choices, decisions, and actions, rather than in days or years of significant events, and that the increments of our lives are bound by the capriciousness and autocracy of time. I learned that time is, in fact, relative, as Einstein said. It stands still for someone waiting in terror for police or medical intervention. It speeds up exponentially for someone desperately longing to halt the inevitable consequences of an impulsive act. There is neither, time is neither a respecter of persons nor of circumstances. I learned how interconnected we all are, how our lives are touched by the lives of others, unknown others even, how we are changed, diminished, 
or enlarged by each other's actions. Rachel Riemann writes in My Grandfather's Blessings, Many people do not know that they can strengthen or diminish the life around them. The way we live day to day simply may not reflect back to us our power to influence life or the web of relationships that connects us. Life responds to us anyway. We, are all, we all have the power to affect others. And we do. We ceaselessly affect one another's lives. Author Madeline Lingle wrote about the astrophysics terms, the butterfly effect, explaining if a butterfly should come into my study and sit on my shoulder as I write, this effect will be felt in galaxies thousands of light years away. Everything in the universe is that closely interconnected. I had that sense as a 911 dispatcher, noting the seemingly infinite ripple effects of a mood or a chance word, an unconscious gesture or lapse in awareness, minute interactions or occurrences that sometimes exploded into the atmosphere with powerful, far-reaching effects. They affected the individuals involved, the bystanders, those people sent to assist those who heard or read or talked about it, and they affected the lives of every person these people touched. And it went on from there as those who were touched were changed, and those who were changed touched others, spiraling out farther and farther into the world. There were calls that particularly profoundly affected me Mere moments spent in intimate contact with a stranger over a phone line that ultimately changed my life and thus altered in some ways the lives of every single person with whom I have interacted. That is the, dy the dynamic of interconnection and it's absolute and inevitable. I learned too about emotion as I fielded calls from people whose lives were so out of control that they dialed us often, and those who had wished never to have to dial our number in their lifetimes. I learned about rage and sorrow, grief and longing and despair, and I learned about fear. I learned about the universality of fear. Everyone was afraid. The callers were afraid, the responders were afraid, although they often covered it with swagger and bravado, as indeed they needed to do. The dispatchers were afraid. Certainly, I was afraid. I never entered the communication center without fear as my companion. It was a time-critical job where the health and safety of others were often at stake. I was terrified of making a mistake, of taking too much time to make a crucial decision, of failing to hear an officer's call for help, of saying the wrong words to calm a caller, of issuing incorrect instructions. I did all of those things at one time or another, and there were always consequences to be paid. I paid them, and I made friends with fear.
as Fear and I became more intimately acquainted, I learned how its omnipresence manifests in various ways within the human condition as control issues, as rage, as obsessions and compulsions and addictions, as anxiety and panic and terror, as skin conditions and voice problems and indigestion, and as indecision and lack of motivation. Fear is insidious and primal and something we all share. It perhaps as much as anything else connects us for a few of us escape its tentacles. Life is a scary proposition, whether it is lived with zest or reserve, whether we are blessed or afflicted. Our finiteness, when we allow ourselves to consider it, takes our breath away. The extent to which we may suffer, as evidenced by the misfortunes of others, terrifies us. We know, most of us, that it is merely the luck of the draw that we suffer as little as we do, that we have lived as long as we have. And like running our tongues around a sore tooth to see if it still hurts, we maintain this knowledge, for to lose sight of it, we instinctively understand, is to lose sight of our place in the interconnected web. To lose sight of it is to lose the all-important human connection and perhaps that is what terrifies us most of all. Mitch Album, in his book, Tuesdays with Maury, writes about a story his former college professor and mentor, Maury Schwartz, told him as Maury lay dying from an incurable illness. Mitch was visiting him on one of the many Tuesday visits in which Maury continued to mentor and instruct his former student and from which the book was written. This was one of those Tuesdays toward the end of Maury's life when death was very close. Here's how Mitch tells it. And I will say that I do share this story relatively often, particularly at memorial services. I heard a little story the other day, Maury says. He closes his eyes for a moment and I wait. Okay. The story is about a little wave bobbing alone in the ocean, having a grand old time. He's enjoying the wind and the fresh air until he notices the other waves in front of him crashing against the shore. My God, this is terrible, the wave says. Look at what's going to happen to me. Then along comes another wave. It sees the first wave looking grim and it says to him, why do you look so sad? The first wave says, you don't understand. We're all going to crash. All of us waves are going to be nothing. Isn't it terrible? The second wave says, no, you don't understand. You're not a wave. You're part of the ocean. I smile. Maury closes his eyes again. Part of the ocean, he says part of the ocean. I watch him breathe in and out, in and out. <clears throat> this story sums up what I have come to believe about both fear and the interconnectedness of life. And it illustrates 
the forming and shaping of my thoughts around death as well. We are all like the waves moving inexorably toward the shore. At times we are dancing across the ocean in the sunlight and fresh air, and at times we are driven and buffeted by the winds and storms of life. But we are all in the daily living of our lives, advancing moment by moment, choice by choice, action by action upon the shore. We are unified in our knowledge that as individuals, we are ever approaching the rocks and sand upon which we will inevitably crash. And that when it becomes our turn, like the frightened little wave, we must face the shore alone. The fear, sometimes of the dance of life upon the ocean, but almost always of the crash upon the sand, permeates the human condition. And how we are able to come to terms with it often reflects our character, our experiences, our values, our spirituality, perhaps. But the story also illustrates my belief that we are never really alone, and we never really die, for we are so much more than our separate selves, our individual lives. We are part of a far greater and far more dynamic, a vital dynamic, just as the waves are part of the ocean, that great wellspring of life and color and emotion. We are universally interconnected. We touch each other's lives in ways we can't even begin to know. We are all part of the same story, and that story is part of a picture far greater than we can perceive. I believe, as Rachel Riemann suggests, there is a wholeness hidden in the world and the experience of separate, separate, separation excuse me, that causes us much of our suffering is an illusion. Our unity, our oneness, our interconnectedness, that is what most affected me as a 911 dispatcher. That is what most shaped me during those years. That is what I brought with me when I moved on. And it is around that dynamic that my values most revolve today. The late poet Mary Oliver wrote, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes of over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clear blue air are heading home again. Wherever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to you, to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, brash, and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. The world calls to us over and over, announcing our place in the family of things. There is a wholeness, mighty and wondrous, hidden 
in the world. Amen.